Welcome to the Siskins Business Essentials Podcast, where I sit down with lawyers from Siskins Business Division to discuss current issues, challenges, and opportunities affecting our clients. My name is Chris Seinel, and I'm a labor and employment lawyer practicing primarily in arbitrations, occupational health and safety, WSIB and human rights, and my clients are primarily from the manufacturing, the broader public sector, and the healthcare sector. And today I'm talking with Matt Wilson, who practices commercial real estate law and is a certified specialist in real estate. Matt, welcome to the discussion. Tell me a little bit more about what you do. Oh, thank you, Chris. So my, my practice is in commercial real estate. I will do some residential as well, but primarily commercial. And that basically means anything that has to do with land. So buying, selling, mortgaging, financing, restructuring, land development, doing work for condominium corporations, doing work for a variety of different private lenders who are looking at investing in real estate. Like I said, if it, if it touches land, it's going to come across my desk at some point. What issues are likely going to pop up where I'm going to give you a call? I realize that right now when we're recording this, we're in unusual times and that the vast majority of people are working from their homes. But normally people, when they work, go to work and they have a physical place where they work. And that's either a space that's owned by the employer or a space that's rented by the employer. And there's real estate that somehow impacts what they do. And even for people who are working out of their homes, there, there are still real estate needs because there are still you know, walls, a roof, or a farm, or something where they actually apply their trade. So our practice only does management side. So if you've got an employer-employee issue, we're only working for the employers. Do you have to divide your practice along lines like that? Like you're, you're only working for tenants, you're only working for residential landlords, or you know, how, how do you focus your practice? There, there is no division like that. Uh, thankfully, we don't have to. I mean, we can act whether it's for a tenant or for a landlord. And there are a number of businesses out there who are both landlord and tenant, depending on uh, their own operation. So thankfully, we don't have to divide in that way. Interesting. In the you know diverse client group that you've got, we've got a global pandemic that's causing an extraordinary degree of government intervention. We've got business closures, business suspensions, and all of the knock-on effects from that. What issues and challenges are, are your clients facing right now that you're responding to that are either you're seeing a lot more of it right now or are otherwise just unique to the set of circumstances we're in right now? The first thing I'll point to is the set of circumstances around what can and cannot operate, what is an essential workplace, and how that actually you know, impacts business. The regulations that the province published are quite vague in many ways around construction, around making sure that homes can still be built if there are people waiting to move into them once they're complete, around you know, can condominiums arrange to have the grass cut? You know, we're going getting into the spring now and grass needs to get cut. To what extent can that be done? But as well as when you're looking at business closures, rent reductions, the financial pressures facing businesses, both on the tenant side, where if you have dark space because you can't actually operate right now, you don't have revenues coming in, what can be done? But also on the landlord side, where you have perhaps tenants that aren't operating, perhaps you need that rent revenue to you know, make your own payroll, to cover your own costs. It really is an interesting time uh, involving all different parties. So what are the acute issues that, that people are having right now that you're getting phone calls about? One key issue is about the landlord and tenant relationship in a commercial context. The residential context, and I act for a number of residential landlords as well, I mean, they know that there are limits on evictions. The landlord-tenant board isn't running in the same way right now. The sheriff isn't 
getting evictions. But on the commercial side, you don't go through the landlord-tenant board. You can use uh, private bailiffs to to evict. So it's not the same system. And then, of course, is is this a issue where force majeure clauses come into effect? On the commercial side, every lease is different. Every lease will have to be reviewed. And a tenant or a landlord, either one of them who's calling me, the first thing I'll say is, I please have a copy of your lease. And we'll review it and we'll discuss their particular issues. And there are a lot of issues around you know, tenants who are not able to pay, around tenants who find that their landlords are trying to uh, use the COVID-19 situation to perhaps try to squeeze them out. There's issues with getting movers right now. So that's multi- there's many factors that go into this environment. And a lot of them are ending up with phone calls to my office wanting to discuss what they can and cannot do. Also on the ownership of real property, you know, there are still deals that were pending that uh, from before this happened that are looking at closing in the next uh, while. Is financing still available? How can appraisals be done? What other options are there for closing that really weren't considered perhaps when the agreement was entered into? If I'm a commercial landlord, I can't imagine that it would be an appetizing prospect to get rid of my tenant, even if they're suffering, let's say, you know, short-term problems paying their rent, because I don't imagine there's a line of new tenants waiting to get into spaces right now. But am I wrong on that? No, I don't think you are wrong. I don't think there is a lineup of tenants who are looking at getting in right now. However, if there was a tenant that was already delinquent, they might want to take this opportunity to continue moving forward with enforcing any default and not uh, take a pause because of COVID-19. That way the space can be ready for when there are tenants again, when when tenants are looking for new space. There is going to be, in my opinion, a lot of change, a lot of flux in the commercial real estate space. There might be market decreases in rent, market decreases in prices in the short term. Again, that's just a guess on my part. I don't know. But I think the market is going to react in a very interesting way over the next few months. So you mentioned some of the restrictions that are in place on the residential side under the Residential Tenancies Act, sheriffs not enforcing evictions. Are we seeing the government being nearly as active in the commercial sphere? Not at all. Um, Not, at least in this province. Uh, In the United Kingdom, there's been legislation passed uh, to restrict forfeiture of leases, but leases can still be attacked in in different ways. And that wasn't done here in Ontario. We are looking more of financial incentive programs to be able to keep tenants in place. But there there is no prohibition on the commercial uh, side uh, with regards to evictions or enforcing defaults. And it is an interesting play, too. I was reading an article that came out on April 27th of this year in BNN Bloomberg, where the chief executive officer of Rio Can Real Estate Investment Trust discussed the issue. And for those who don't know, Rio Can, of course, is quite a large commercial landlord in Canada, number of properties around the country, including here in London. And they were having a dis- he was having a discussion around some of the voluntary programs that Rio Can was offering to assist the approximately 30% of their portfolio of tenants who are those uh, smaller businesses that would be harder hit because, in his words, uh, Rio Can has a more robust balance sheet. And he was actually surprised that some of their larger tenants, uh, who, in his words, have larger balance sheets than they do, just stopped paying rent and uh, were relying on the fact that you know, Rio Cam might not want to evict those large American, uh, typically tenants, uh, such as uh, Staples, which he called out in the article. 
they don't want to go through the same situation they did when uh, Target pulled out of the market, which left them with a lot of empty space. They don't want to risk that. But it's still, it's showing that this is all done on a case-by-case basis right now between landlord and tenant, and there is no one-size-fits-all solution. That's interesting. I mean, it's interesting that RioCan obviously has the the weight to be able to to publicly shame an organization like Staples. <laughs> It is interesting, but we also have to keep in mind most landlords are not real camp. Right? There are a lot of small landlords. There are a lot of people who, uh, as an investment, might buy a, a small commercial property, a strip mall. They are relying on that income to pay the bills, to provide some financial security for their future. And everyone can't be painted with the same brush. This is not a David versus Goliath situation where every landlord is Goliath and every tenant is is a David out there. This is one that we need to really look at individually and hopefully find ways for landlords and tenants to work together to find solutions that work for everybody. I always remind people, whenever you're in a landlord-tenant relationship, it is a relationship. You can't be short-sighted. Ideally, you'd find ways to work together because this current pandemic situation might be with us for the next who knows how many months, but it's not going to hopefully be with us for the next five years. And if there's still five years left on the lease, there could still be even four years plus of that uh, where you're still going to have to find ways to work together and both operate and both be open for business. A common theme in the discussions that I've had with lawyers in the business division has been this idea of relationships. I mean, whether it's in the employment sector, one of the best antidotes to litigation is treating the employees with dignity and respect, openly communicating with them because then they're less likely to to become litigious. In the franchisee franchise or relationship, the same sort of thing. You know, if you if you fall back on the exact language of the contract to some extent, that's a failure because ideally the relationship doesn't break down to the point where you can't have those pragmatic business solutions. So I, I'm not surprised to hear you say that a landlord tenant relationship is no different, and that you you really need to you know do everything you can to build and sustain that relationship, just because it's probably going to cost less in the long run. Oh, exactly. I mean, we all have to do what we can to work together and we can't forget that in times of trial. I mean, I know it's business. Uh, People need to make money. People need to make a living, but so does everybody. So in terms of tools that are available right now to help people just manage what's going on, what's out there? You mentioned that the government's not being particularly interventionist. Are, are Are there any tools either that have been put out by the government programs, what have you, that folks should be looking at right now if they don't already know about? So as of today, being April 29th, 2020, there is a program that was announced, uh, the Canada Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance, the CECRA. And I have noticed that this uh, current pandemic has led to a lot of very similar acronyms. Over this, we're talking about the Canada Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance Program. It is just in the process of being rolled out. Uh, to that point, uh, it's being supposed to be administered by uh, CMHC, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, and they've updated information on their website about this. I believe it was about three hours ago. So it's about as hot off the press as it can be for the purposes of this recording. And basically, it's a program that will allow property owners to apply for a forgivable loan with the intent of helping a small business tenant. But there are a lot of unknowns and it's not mandatory. The landlords are not being forced to offer this. So you could have small business tenants who could qualify, who might have a landlord who doesn't want to participate because of a potential risk of having the loan not forgiven by the government. 
So the way it works, at least based on what's published to date, you know, you have to own a commercial property. As of now, there has to be a mortgage loan on that commercial property. So it already rules out anyone where there's a, a tenant and the owner owns the property, landlord owns the property without any mortgage. Now, I understand an alternative mechanism is coming, but nothing's been announced yet. The landlord also then has to agree to enter into a rent reduction agreement uh, for the periods of April, May, and June. So this is retroactive, and it will reduce the impact of small business tenants' rent by at least 75%. Also, the landlord has to agree to a moratorium on evictions for the periods of April, May, and June of 2020. Uh, now, of course, what this means is that the government will offer, if you if everything's qualified, the government will offer a loan for 50% of rent. The other 25% of rent is effectively has to be eaten by the landlord, and not all landlords will be able to do that, giving the final 25% to be paid by the tenant. The tenant to qualify will have to pay no more than $50,000 a month in gross rent. They'll have to generate no more than $20 million in gross annual uh, revenues and have either temporarily ceased operations or experienced at least a 70% decline uh, from pre-COVID revenues. The difficulty, again, with this is that the qualifications are on the finances of the tenant. The loan, and whether it's forgivable or not, goes to the landlord. And there is no discussion yet on what happens if a landlord, and on a good faith basis, believes that the tenant qualifies for this or is advised by the tenant that they qualify for this. And it turns out later that the tenant, in fact, didn't qualify, which is what's keeping a lot of landlords away from the program, or at least away from considering the program at this point, because applications are not fully open yet. Because otherwise, the landlord could be held not only to that 25% rent reduction that they've already agreed to, but also to having to repay a loan for 50%. And that's a lot for landlords uh, to eat. Now, that's perhaps better position for the landlord um, than having no money in the door if the tenant defaults and are evicted. That 25% is usually better than 0%, but it still has to be reviewed on a on a case-by-case basis to see what works best. And this is what they've come up with to date. It's nowhere near perfect. It provides perhaps an, some sort of life raft uh, for small business tenants, but it's a, a life raft with uh, perhaps a lot of holes or you know, to use the analogy to Titanic, it's a, it's a you know, slab of, of wood floating with only one person can be on and there's debate on who it should be potentially. That's a great analogy. You always go back to, you know, classic movies like Titanic. The thing that tenants need to remember is there are some other avenues as well for funds. Uh, the Canada Emergency Business Account uh, provides interest-free loans of up to $40,000 to small businesses and nonprofits. You know, if you qualify, there's, of course, the other other benefits as well. There is a business credit availability program that's offered through Business Development Bank of Canada. There are other programs that tenants can also look at for additional money that they can then use to pay rent. But it's a hodgepodge system. There there is no one solution. There is no one size fits all through this. You mentioned earlier that you expect that in the next, let's say, three, six months when the environment starts to return to some level of normalcy. I mean, it won't be perfectly normal by then. But you'd mentioned that you expected to see a fairly dynamic commercial real estate market. I guess the question is, like, what do you, what do you see the market looking like in three to six months? If you had to take out your crystal ball and say, listen, here are the issues I can see coming up for my, my clients. Here's what, here's what I'd be on the lookout for and here's what I'd think about to prepare for it. I think it's going to be a challenge to project. And when I listen to this again in six months from now, I 
anticipate much of what I'm going to say is going to be completely wrong. Um, I don't have a crystal ball, but based on my experience, based on what I'm hearing in the market, talking to commercial realtors, talking to others who are in the market, they are concerned. They're concerned about the availability of credit because of the fact that there will be decreased revenues, that there's decreased income. Will people be able to get loans? Will people be able to finance improvements? Will people be able to continue to afford their properties? There are tenants that will unfortunately end up going out of business that will increase the vacancy rates of commercial space, which then could lower or depress the commercial rents which does have an impact on all the landlords. There are also businesses that own their own buildings already that perhaps might not financially survive. Of course, we hope that they do, but they might not. And those assets will need to be liquidated either through sale voluntarily or through bankruptcy or other processes. Therefore, putting more commercial inventory onto the resale market, which again, could have the effect of uh, depressing commercial prices. We don't know. I will imagine... I do imagine that things will eventually rebound. How long that takes, again, is anyone's guess. Even after the last crashes, though, property values have eventually recovered. They did at times take quite a while to do that, though. If you look at, this is on the residential side, but if you look at the residential crash that happened in Toronto uh, in around 1980, I believe that one was, uh, we had an increase in prices in real estate in the three years leading up massive bubble and the market crashed. And if you factor inflation into account, uh, it might have only gone down 30% in property values, which is still quite significant. But it took the market 22 years once you factor inflation into account to come back to the 1980 levels, 22 years. So that is quite a long time. Now, do I think that's going to happen again? I don't, but it might. And it's the new reality that we'll figure out uh, now of course, back then, interest rates were also much higher than they are now. Uh, just to get on the residential side, you know, now you can still get residential mortgage rates for you know 3% give or take. Back then, you were looking at 11 to 12%. It was a totally different environment, a totally different market. But real estate, it does come back. It might take some time uh, if it does crash, but it will come back because it's actually a real thing. It's called real estate for a reason. You know, when I talk with my clients about where do we expect things to change, I've, I've mentioned before that a lot of the legislation that we work under, Employment Standards Act, Occupational Health and Safety Act, it, it all comes out of an era of industrialization. And so this this working from home thing is to some extent, and to use an overused phrase, a paradigm shift in not only how businesses operate, but also how they could be regulated. But given what you've just talked about, where we talk about the real estate market really being subject to the overarching market forces that ebb and flow and that we've seen time and time again. Is there anything about this situation right now that you expect to stick and result in you know, permanent changes to the way that your clients operate? Or is this really just a, another form of the type of, of contraction, you know, more acute maybe uh, than, than most? Uh, but is there anything fundamental that's going to change out of how do your, your clients operate due to this COVID pandemic? I think the number one issue that will come out of this is that the realization by employers, and this touches into what you do as well, Chris, that people can actually work from home and people can be productive from home and people can be set up from home. And that opens a whole host of employment and labor law issues, which is your bailiwick, not mine. But on my desk, what 
it opens up is discussions around need for space. You know, if you are a tenant or if you're a business owner operating a business, do you still need your 30,000 square feet? Or can you do fine with 20,000 or 10,000? And this will cause significant ripple effects potentially through the industry because we have buildings that were built, office spaces that were designed for certain sizes and tenants in there who at least certain square footages who might not need all that space anymore. So you will be looking at potentially certain businesses if they own their property, do they bring in a tenant for part of it? If they are leasing space, are they wanting to decrease the amount of square footage that they're renting and how that all plays? So not only are we potentially looking at empty space on the market from people who have businesses who are no longer able to operate, but businesses also might be looking at giving up space for work from home purposes as well, putting even more space onto the market. I want to thank Matt for taking the time to talk today. If you have any questions coming out of what Matt and I have talked about today, please visit the Siskins website at www.siskins.com or in the various social media feeds it has at Siskins underscore LLP. So if you have any questions, please reach out there. And thank you again for listening to Matt Wilson and I discuss the business essentials of real estate law during COVID-19.